Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. When it comes to the church, I guess I would say specifically in America, a lot of questions have come out regarding what a pastor truly is. What does the Bible say that a pastor really is? And to discuss this with me is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Important topic, bro. I mean, it's good to be good to dive into. I mean, when it's ta- when we're talking about the church, I mean, when we when we come up here and, and we deal with and you know, obviously the documentary, the submerging church that uh, you put out back, and that was before I was with the ministry. I think when it first came yeah, out, just before I think, uh, yeah. yeah, I think just a couple months, but no nonetheless, much, yeah. <laughs> but that was such an important documentary because it showed so many of the leaders and the dangers of having false doctrine, the dangers of letting liberal theology sneak in, and I believe that progressive Christianity today is really a just amalgamation of what was happening uh, in the submerging church. And it's so interesting that a lot of this starts from the top down. And so often when you look at churches, it does seem that over and over again, when the pastor's teaching something false and none of the congregation is pointing it out, no one's, everyone's just accepting it. It just seems to be quite the downfall. And we're going to be having a question that we're going to answer here but, but Joe, just to kind of start things off, I think it'd be a great place to start about the importance of the, the pastor as it is, as God has appointed them, according to Ephesians chapter four, for the role, for the building up of the ministry. And we see so clearly that so often, you know, whether it's pastors falling because of this, that, and the other, whether it's their children being attacked by Satan it just seems that they're, that the enemy takes a lot of time to make sure he can get those leaders to fall. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a critical ministry, obviously, in the church. Uh, the Lord gave us uh, different gifts. We all have different spiritual gifts. Uh, read 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, which you just mentioned, and uh, Romans chapter 12 mentions various gifts. But in, in Ephesians 4, which you just mentioned, Chad, it mentions gifts, meaning people that God gives to the church. You know, and these are we're all gifted in certain ways, but as far as uh, encouraging and strengthening and watching over the church. And he said he gave, he said he was sent at first descending into the lower parts of the earth and so forth. And it says he gave gifts to men. It says he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor and pastors. And that there's no end there after that teachers. So the construction is quite interesting. Uh, the idea there and exodus pretty much agree pastors and teachers are two separate uh, giftings there it's the pastors that are going to teach uh and elder is also a pastor a lot of people think that pastor is one thing and elder is a different thing but uh we have uh elders in our fellowship chad's one of our elders and i say sometimes i'll say pastor chad and people go or pastor so and other pastors too it's the same thing uh but uh, there's different pastors that do different things it talks about uh, pastors who lead well and teach and so forth uh, but all pastors must be able to teach whereas deacons have the same qualifications for the most part but they're not to teach and some people look for instance at deacons as can be male or female there's a controversy in the church on that just as there are with pastors but even if they are female deacons they're not called to have to be able to teach you see 
It's kind of interesting. But I think it's important that we understand when Paul says that he gave apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, and pastor teachers, he talks about, he says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. He talks about till we all attain the unity of faith. And he goes on to say that we're no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the slate of men who lie in wait to deceive. So mm-hmm. they're called to guard the flock and they're called to teach. And it's interesting, the word, the term pastor means shepherd. And uh, it's interesting when we make our Mexico trips to uh, whether it's the build homes in the past or it's to help Jonathan at the Blessed Hope Mexico. Uh, we, you know, there's some great taco places, Ensenada, and uh, everybody loves the pastor uh, tacos. And, and I'll tell people, you know, the origins of these pastor tacos. And, and, and sometimes I'll play around with people, you know, we like to make up little tiny stories and tell people we're just joking. This is not a joke. It, it came from basically Lebanon, uh, where shepherds uh, went to Mexico and migrated there. And uh, they began tending, they would tend their sheep and they tend pigs and so forth. Well, sheep mostly in the Middle East, right? But uh, they would tend, they're using pigs, right? And they started, you know, putting the pig meat on spits, kind of like the euros that you eat with the euro meat. And in Israel, their euros are all over, whether it's the Jews or the Arabs, you know, and so forth, the different places around there making these. They slice it up, be really good. Well, the pastor meat is so good because it's that pig, it's that pork that's on the spit uh, that turns that they cut off. You put in your tacos. It's amazing. I tell them these were pastors. It's called pastor. It's called pastor because it came from those pastors, which are shepherds. And uh, pastors are supposed to be shepherds. And the very word pastor means shepherd. And that's important to know because if somebody's going to pastor's church, they're going to shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Peter said, or the Lord said to Peter, to you know, feed his sheep, right? So uh, a pastor is to feed the sheep the word of God, the milk and the water of God's word as well. But a pastor or a shepherd also guards the sheep from lions, from wolves, and what have you. And as Christian pastors, uh, much of that role has been abdicated because they they don't think of themselves as being protectors and guardians of the sheep, which we're called to be. Uh, and oftentimes, sadly today, a lot of pastors think of themselves as entertainers and the sheep aren't being fed and they're led astray in various ways. No, I, I think this is so important for us to understand. And you're going to notice one of the things that's going to stick out in this episode is chapter and verse talk. And, and a lot of this is very important for an understanding on a biblical, as, as Joe was mentioning, he's going through Ephesians 4, he's going through 1 Timothy 3, he's talking about Titus 1, all these very important texts regarding this subject. And, and Joe, I know we're going to be talking about biblical pastors and what that looks like, because we did get a question that somebody had wrote in about, hey, we get we lost a pastor and and so forth, and we want to know what we should be looking for. And I want to get to that question. But but Tammy here on the live stream did ask something, and I know it's going to be, I guess it's different because we're not answering uh, what a biblical church looks like or what a biblical uh, pastor looks like right now. But I liked what Tammy asked, and it was specifically regarding, hey, uh, what if you're in a bad church? Is it better not to go to church at all? I know this is not an easy question, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> it's one. probably the tough, one of the tougher ones to, to answer. But, hey, I'm, I'm in a bad church. Is it better to be at this bad church than no church at all? Yeah, and that's a great question. And, and Tammy, man, that's one of the toughest questions we get because uh, we have a lot of live stream uh, churches that popped up because of people that are desperate to find you know, sound teaching and a heart's break. But at the same time, uh, they're watching me on live stream, but you know what? They're always hearing me emphasize, try to find a solid church still. If your live stream uh, group uh, doesn't have, you know, a leadership, praise God, if you're waiting for leadership, if it's growing into a church, great. 
uh, because we look at the early church, you know, Paul puts Timothy in Ephesus because they don't have pastoral oversight. It's a group of people meeting, uh, get, you know, get, that love Jesus or getting the word to a degree, but they don't have leadership. So we have a lot of live stream uh, uh, groups like that, that, that watch us that are kind of in that state where Paul's trying to, you know, they're trying to establish elders and so forth. And elders are mature believers who meet the, the uh, requirements that you read about in first Timothy three. And as Chad mentioned, Titus chapter one, so it just grow on trees. It takes some time. So Timothy's there to disciple and appoint elders and so forth. So we're looking forward to those live stream churches. We have one of our live streams in Idaho. We're sending uh, Nick, who's one of our elders slash pastors here. And we're going to really miss him, but we're sending him to Idaho where a lot of our, a lot of people from our fellowship moved to just get out of Cali. Right. And uh, we're sending him over there because we want them to have not to just see my mug all the time because they need some oversight. So we're sending him over there to pastor them and to teach them. We're excited about that. So I say all that to say a lot of churches are in a, a, a flux. A lot of believers are in a place, a state where they're, they're growing leadership because they, they prefer sound teaching and they can't tolerate the teachings that have gone uh, way into a lot of heresy. However, uh, there's churches that are unsound and then there's churches that are just downright heretical. And uh, some time ago, I used to use capital H and small, you know, small uh, H heresies to try to make a distinction. Then I came up with something to make a distinction between damnable heresies. Paul, Peter talks about those who deny him who bought them and, and uh, teach damnable heresies. These are heresies that will damn your soul if you just believe them. For instance, if you deny the, the gospel, you deny that Jesus Christ is God, you deny uh, you know, that he rose from the dead bodily. Those are all damnable heresies. Then there's what we call flammable heresies. Because you don't want to say, hey, this heresy is a damnable, therefore it's okay to believe. No, there are heresies that aren't damnable can still be very destructive. So we call them flammable heresies, meaning they're heresies that could lead you into destruction. For instance, somebody could believe that once they're saved, uh, that they're going to be saved no matter what, and and that they'll never fall away. Well, they can believe that and be saved, right? Because they're continuing to persevere and trust Christ. But it, it also could lead them to thinking if they fall away, well, if I'm one of the elect, I'm going to come back eventually. And I've had to counsel people through that. I know you need to get right with God right now. You know, you have a decision to make, you know, you have to follow Jesus as Lord. You can't count on your, your hopeful election to come back. So that's a heresy that could lead to destruction. So it depends on the level of um, false teaching that's at a church. The reason I say that is uh, there are, you know, uh, churches that have, uh, they have some things that are off. Uh, We used to always, you know, we used to be able to say years and years ago when somebody was moving and we didn't know the churches in the area and they're saying, Hey, could you recommend a church? We used to say, when you know, years ago when Chuck Smith was around, before a lot of the junk entered into the, a lot of the Calvary chapels, not all of them, but a lot of them, we used to say, hey, you know what? If you can't find a good church, you know, uh, you know, try a Calvary chapel out. And we'd give the caveat, the asterisk, you know, watch out for pre-trib because we don't believe Jesus. There's going to be a secret coming, and you're not going to have to face hard times during the tribulation period. And the church, we believe the face, church will face Antichrist when it comes. And we believe there's a ton of warnings. Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, Luke 21, the book of Revelation itself, a lot of the book of Daniel, 2 Thessalonians 2, on and on. There's all these warnings that are being pushed aside, but we believe somebody could be at a Calvary Chapel and understand that, yeah, we're going to go through the tribulation, not be deceived by that, and still get a lot of good, solid teaching. However, we know a lot of the Calvaries are OSAS, too. So we'd warn about that. You know, once saved, always saved. Uh, not all of them, though. Raul Reese taught very strongly. I hope he still does. You, you have to continue the faith, you know? And... So, so we kind of help them navigate that, and they have to make their own decision. We say, you might check out a Calvary Chapel. Now we can't just say that, you know, because we've got a lot of people in our fellowship or different people, I should say, from, our, from, from Calvary's here because they've gone through a lot of hard times. They travel hour and a half sometimes or whatever. 
uh, from the ge different geographical areas to be hearing a more what they believe to be, and we believe to be a, a, a lot of sound teaching. So it's really hard. So you're going to have to, Tammy, it sounds like you love Jesus and you want truth. And uh, we also believe it's important to be around believers for iron to sharpen iron to stimulate one another to love and good works. So we really want to encourage you if you, and if, praise God, if you have a live stream fellowship and you watch this with other people, you pray together and you seek the Lord. But if that's not becoming a church, we wouldn't, and praise God, you have some fellowship there. You do need some kind of uh, pastoral oversight and accountability. Uh, we read that in Hebrews 13. It says to obey your leaders, you know. And if you don't have leaders that you're accountable to, we encourage you to to really seek a fellowship uh, where there's some leadership. As long as you don't feel, as long as you don't see that the heresies are damnable and that the flammable ones aren't catching people on fire, you know, in the fellowship. Uh, and, you know, my wife and I were just discussing this. We were up till 1.30 in the morning uh, doing premarital counseling for a couple. And uh, my wife usually, she's like tired and she's kind of kicking me under the table. like I'm wiped out, you know. And man, she was animated to like 1, 10 in the morning. I think we got home at 1.30. And I'm like, wow, man, I got to get up earlier in the morning because I got an interview at uh, 7 a.m. And I got to get up. And I'm, uh, <laughs> Chad said, yeah, you sound like you, your voice is a little froggy. I got it just a little bit after 6. He goes, but then you, you, you sounded great because he told me he listened to the interview. And my wife, she was so amped. And she got a vitamin, you know, thing yesterday, you know, from the doctor. And she goes, oh, I know what it was, you know. And it's just interesting because she was saying to this couple, because we're moving to North Carolina, uh, we were saying, talk, she was uh, talking about getting in a good fellowship. And, and we were talking about how some of these things, some of them are going to be off, yes, because we're worried about that. And we said, you know, she said, you need to just be, go there and be sandpaper then. Go there and, and, and get, get the word, but also encourage other people in the truth of God's word. So uh, you have giftings, Tammy, from the Lord, you know, uh, and use those to God's glory. So you're going to have to make that decision, though, ultimately, whether this is, uh, a church that you can tolerate because there's not a, a, a gross amount of false doctrine or not. I, it's so hard. I can't draw the line for you. You have to go by your own conviction as to whether the pastor is earnestly seeking God and seeking to grow and open to truth as well. No, amen. And one of the things we want to do in this is hopefully, and, and by using scripture, obviously, hopefully give kind of some ground rules to say, hey, whether or not this person is a pastor you might have noticed in the intro, if you guys have been watching the whole time, that a lot of the clips were from guys like Stephen Furtick or, or Joel Osteen or even talked about Paula White or even used Paula White, some clips on there, Andy Stanley, where we can literally point to certain scriptures and say, nope, disqualified. You, When you say you do not care about doctrine nor teach it or come and call people out for false doctrine, automatically Titus 1, you're clearly not qualified, yeah, right? And Paula White is just disqualified for, <laughs> for being multiple reasons. Paula White. <laughs> yeah, for being Paula White and and so forth. And by the way, just to let you know, yes. and we believe women have far more giftings than men in so many different areas. We just believe the Bible says in Galatians 3.28, in Christ there's neither male nor female. Amen. So before the cross at creation, we're, we're, we're equal as far as human beings. We share the same essence, right? We're given different roles. You know, Chad came to me and said, Joe, man, I've had to just change heart, you know? Um, he goes, man, I, I, I just jealous of women. I want to have a baby. I want to have a baby the last couple months. You know, I want to breastfeed and everything else. I, I'd be horrified because he's my son-in-law, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, but I'd be I horrified because he's my brother. I'd be horrified because he's such a wonderful partner in ministry for a lot of reasons. But I say, Chad, that's not your role. God didn't create you. And by the way, one of the most awesome things, if not the most awesome, awesome the most awesome gift besides Jesus, you know, the gospel, you know, Holy Spirit, the fullness of the gospel is bringing life in the world. And women have that opportunity. Men don't. And it's wrong for men to want their role. And it's wrong for 
women as well to want to take the man's role and advocate, uh, or I should say their own responsibility and say, hey, I want to I want to pastor a church and so forth, like you know, Paula White and others, because that's contrary to scripture. But we decided because we talked about doing that in this show as well. And I, we chatted, and I said, you know what, let's do a whole show on that in a couple of weeks. So we do that with issue another week because if we saw the women pastors up there, that's gonna be actually dealt with probably in two weeks or so. No, and, and that is a very important topic, and a lot of people can get offended. There's some people try to sneak nuance in and so forth, and we want to make sure we answer that. And that was just something that came up recently in an email to the church from somebody that we care about a lot that had written into us like, hey, started going to this church, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, I think maybe the youth pastor came up and it was a girl. And then she began teaching all the congregation on the Sunday meeting and so forth. So uh, we there's some answers there that we want to kind of go through, and I think it gives us a good template maybe that we'll run through some of the argumentation because it's very common. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be able to kind of do that. You guys can check that out. But I wanted to get, Joe, before we get too deep in the woods, because I know we already answered questions from our YouTube live audience. So if you do have some, try to send them. I'll try to catch them as we go along the way. And Tony is also looking as well. So he'll usually send me a message and say, hey, this person has right. a good and that's question. Not questions on women. Pastors would do it for no. two weeks. But Sorry, just good call. The qualifications of a pastor, what you're looking for when you're bringing a pastor on. What I look for is I brought, I bring pastors on to, to help service. Timothy was called to bring elders on as well. No, oh yeah, no, 100%. And when uh, we got this email, that's what gave us the impetus to kind of, hey, why don't we do this episode? This would be really great because this is such an important topic. This isn't one that grabs, you know, the newsworthy and makes everyone press click. But for those who are seeking truth and wanting to know, hey, what am I looking for? Especially for, like you mentioned, somebody's leaving from North Carolina, looking for what the pastor is like is going to typically say, what is that church going to be like? Because if the blind is leading the blind, they're going to go into a ditch. So we want to make sure that you are looking at the scriptures, what the scripture says regarding the subject. So you're not led down a ditch and so forth. And, and the question that was brought up was from Glenn Wood. And this is what he said, Joe. He said, hey, brothers, our pastor of 22 years passed away in February. Sorry mm -hmm. to hear that, by the way. We have mm -hmm. just recently formed a pastor search committee and want to make sure we are approaching this according to God's will. Would you have any suggestions for questions uh, we should ask prospective candidates? In other words, what are some key questions you would recommend we ask? We already have some listed, but value your opinion. Now, I say all this, Joe. This is a great question to ask you because, as you mentioned, you're appointing elders. You're appointing pastors. You're appointing shepherds to guard the flock. And so you've had to ask certain questions of yourself when you look out at the people that are in your congregation that you're saying, hey, does this person desire this? They want to be built up into this. So what are some of the questions? Maybe we can start before we can get into a little nitty gritty, just some of the first things you're maybe noticing uh, in a person or maybe the first things you're kind of seeing in them. And you go, maybe this is somebody that will be oriented towards uh, a pastoral leadership role. Yeah, the first thing I'm looking for. Uh, and now, you know, when you're a new pastor and you and you've started a congregation, which we did, I did in my home. and and uh, you know, you don't have any elders, uh, you appoint elders. And then after the elders are appointed, uh, elders work with me to pray for and appoint, uh, appoint other pastors. So we do it as a collective group of elders now, which is awesome. But what we look for, you know, I'll, I'll speak more specifically to my own heart, uh, which is, I'm sure all of our hearts is, you know, the first thing I'm looking for, somebody who's genuinely saved, you know, uh, bearing fruit for God's glory. And loves, just really loves, really loves from the heart, loves Jesus, you know, uh, where, uh, you know, I, I remember talking to a guy uh, a while back and he was a worship leader and he was 
tell me, oh, I've been a worship leader for years. I was a worship leader long before I was a Christian. And I get hired by a certain denomination and, and they knew I wasn't a Christian, but I always lead the worship. I'm like, what? It's just, I was a young kind of naive believer, I guess, back then, not realizing that a lot of people are hirelings, you know, and they're in it for the money or it's, it's a career or maybe they went to seminary. It's what they know, but they're not even genuine believers. You want to make sure, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, right? It's like, well, of course they're going to be a believer if they want to be a pastor. Not true. You know, there's all kinds of professors and seminaries that are not, not believers as well. Uh, I've done a lot of premarital counseling. I don't, can't tell you how many times I just, like I said, just did that last night and I give three prerequisites before I move on beyond the first one. And that's that you're eligible to marry, right? Uh, that you're both believers, they're not even the yoke, and that you love each other. And it's like, sometimes I get, what do you mean, do we love each other? Of course we do. Well, there's been a few different cases. And sometimes I, I mean, three, I can think of specifically right now where it came out, they didn't really love each other. And they, one of them, they don't love the other person. One, I got the clause in my, in the, on the wedding morning, you know, that's probably why I started doing it. Get me out of this. I don't really love him. And I'm like, well, she would have told me earlier, poor guy, you know, it's coming and everything. And some things seem so obvious, but you still have to ask them. You have to, you know, do you love Jesus, you know, and, and uh, do you fear the Lord? A lot of pastors don't even teach on the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is beginning to wisdom. If you don't fear God, you're leaving out a lot of verses from the scripture. So those are the primary things you look at right away. Uh, do you believe the Bible is the word of God? And I'm sure, brother, you've already been asking some of these questions. I'm sure you guys have got that on your list. Is, you know, believe the Bible is inerrant word of God. Uh, infallible in, in the original manuscripts and uh, is, you know, uh, basically gives, it gives us everything for life and godliness and, and so forth, along, of course, with the power of the Holy Spirit working our lives and do they believe in the work of the Holy Spirit and sanctification, all these things. So a lot of the, a lot of the main questions is, you know, what is the gospel? You know, uh, do you teach repentance? Do you, do, you, do you teach repentance not just for the lost, but because the Bible says, except you repent, Jesus said, you'll all likewise perish. Uh, and the scriptures warn in the Great Commission, Jesus said, it's not really a warning, it's a commission to go preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Luke chapter 24. Uh, so a lot of pastors don't believe in repentance uh, to the, being preached to the lost, but Jesus commanded it. And do you believe repentance is to be taught to the congregation? Uh, just read, uh, Chad and I just did a, uh, earlier this year, a for, you know, the way through the seven churches of Revelation, and five of those seven churches are warned to repent. You know, if you hear my preaching, I'm imploring the congregation throughout every message or two to there's areas probably every message every message whether i use the word or not but i use the word a lot we need to make sure we're right with god we need to repent so these are things i don't want to just go off for the next 20 minutes because all kinds of things keep coming to my heart and mind but i want to be more specific to more specific questions so you can stop me any moment when i'm talking no i think that that's a good that's a good starting point and i wanted to answer just some this was regarding something that i said somebody had we, wp fuller had asked youth pastors are not a biblical position so how can a woman in that role be against the word what I was mentioning specifically is this person was led to run the youth and they called her youth pastor, which as you mentioned, that's not something mentioned in scripture. But the truth is, is that young people typically are shepherded by somebody. So you can call it that or not. But the duty is being done either way, even though as a congregation, we believe that those young people need to be uh, specifically at the high school level and so forth, need to be in the Sunday meeting that we're coming together on the Lord's Day to partake in communion and so forth, that they shouldn't be separated, <clears throat> excuse me, separated from their parents and so forth to take communion and be a part of that worship together that we meet as a fellowship. And that is our personal conviction, but that there is subsequent teachings during the week in which those younger people are coming and getting that aren't necessarily what's being taught. Um, I mean, same message because 
praise God, it's from a bunch of people that go to Blessed Hope and have been discipled by Joe, including myself and Tommy, who's here working the cameras today. But uh, who's but, an awesome brother? It was a great bro. And uh, but but nonetheless, she was teaching on a Sunday meeting, one specifically uh, that when we read First Timothy, and we don't want to get into the women pastor thing, but it specifically talks about not having the women teach over the men, specifically in First Timothy two, and then First Timothy three fifteen, I believe that says this should be all at all congregations. It's something that is for all congregations. In case Paul wasn't able to get there through Timothy, he was going to get that message to them. So, Joe, um, let me ask a couple of more pointed questions. Hopefully that answers your question, W.P. Fuller. But, Joe, let me let me get to some more pointed questions regarding the pastoral care, because you mentioned the gospel, repentance. These are stuff, these are things that I think a lot of times when you look even at the early church, the things that they might have focused on, or even the, uh, the occasional letters of Paul where he's focusing on certain things that were so important that would be timeless truths for us as well. But specifically day and age things where we're dealing with, especially we live in America, okay? We don't live, you know, in Saskatchewan or, or wherever. We live in America. So dealing with teachers not teaching repentance, being scared of those things, teachers not teaching about sin and being serious about it. Obviously, these are going to be points of emphasis. You're like, hey, if you're not paying attention to this, but what about maybe even watching, a lot of times we're talking about doctrine. That's a huge thing. If you watch the Good Fight Radio show, I'm guessing you love doctrine. You love just learning about doctrine, what the Bible teaches. But what, what about the actual personal living? And I, and I want to illustrate this with a story before I hand it back to you on the question. Uh, my own uncle was going to a church and he was serving there, teaching there as well. Part of the, the uh, I believe they do Sunday school there, but more even for adults and so forth. Uh, but one of the things that happened is the pastor there would simply be there like a nine to five job. He had his office hours and that was it. And for some people, that's totally normal. That's totally fine. And but he, it was very interesting because he was so aloof from the congregation, not much to do with them and so forth, only to be found out years later that he was actually an alcoholic. And the reason why he wanted to get done, be done with five for his office hours, because, you know, it's, mm. it's a happy hour somewhere. And mm. so they found that out and he was removed from the position. But Joe, that leads me to, we have an understanding that they need to, uh, they, they need to care about doctrine. They need to preach sound doctrine or refute those who do not. But what about their day-to-day living? Is there something in the day-to-day living of a believer that would qualify or disqualify them from the pastoral care ministry? Yeah, absolutely. Are we done at six for sure today? No, yes. I'm just yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm joking, you guys. Uh, you know, uh, are we going to go back to the doctrine questions? I don't know that we got in that. No, no, we will. We will okay, go back I was to the doctrine questions. Yes. Treat that yes. I think that's important. But, yeah. uh, because Paul says in First Timothy four sixteen says watch your life can be translated behavior and your doctrine. He's Paul's writing to Timothy, a young pastor. Watch your life and your doctrine, and in so doing, you will save yourself and those who hear you. Now, obviously, the main thing a, a, a pastor has to teach doctrinally is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, rose again for the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. That we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, the gift of God, not of works of sin, we should boast. So we're supposed to watch our life and our doctrine, but not just our, our doctrine is so important. And that's so emphasized in the pastoral epistles, right? But there's a lot of emphasis on lifestyle, you know, and he says, watch your life or watch your behavior, watch and your doctrine. So uh, one of the prerequisites, if I'm uh, looking for an elder or a leader or a pastor, like for instance, Nick, who we're uh, sending to, uh, you know, we sent Jonathan to Mexico. He is a man who has a 
uh, very godly lifestyle, uh, fears and loves the Lord, and he cares about sound doctrine. Nick, who we're sending to Idaho in a couple months or so, if you're out in Idaho, there's going to be, there's already a great live stream group there. I think they've got like 30 people from our fellowship that had moved there and Star Pleasant in that area and they're meeting and it's great and, and they're growing and uh, he's going to, but he has, Nick loves the Lord. He, he fears the Lord. Uh, he teaches really, really well. His doctrine is really, really solid. Uh, and also he has a lifestyle where he does indeed fear, love the Lord. He loves his wife, loves his children. He's seeking to live for Jesus. So we emphasize that in our own choice of elders. We can't have an elder who's getting drunk, you know, or doesn't care about holy life. Uh, we, I look for elders that, that are striving to be more like Jesus, you know, and fear the Lord and love the Lord and wouldn't think about, you know, I'm not going to bring an elder on if the person has a hard time controlling their temper, uh, controlling their, their language, uh, controlling uh, their behavior, uh, is falling in and out of, uh, you know, grievous sin, you know. Uh, so it, it matters a whole lot because, again, uh, to Timothy and Titus, they're called to be models. They're called to be patterns by Paul to the believers. So Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Yet, as Paul communicates to Timothy, he says, what I've taught you, which is also follow his example, you teach other faithful men. Ooh, so they're going to follow Timothy's example. And those are faithful men that are being yeah, taught, amen. so they can teach still others, he says. So we're supposed to be, watch our life and our and our doctrine and, and my own fear of God. I mean, uh, you know, he says they must manage their own household well. Well, if you manage your own house well, household well, that's one of the prerequisites. That means you're an example, you know? That means one of the things I'm going to look at, how's the relationship of this would-be pastor with his wife, you know? Has he been faithful to her? Uh, how's his relationship with his children? Does he love his children? Is he managing the household well, you know? So uh, I've always pastored uh, out of my home as my first office because the first sheep that I'm to tend to is my wife and my children. And that has everything to do with my lifestyle and my teaching. And I live and breathe Jesus, you know, and they know that. And, and thankfully, by the grace of God, because it doesn't always happen this way, because uh, the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 1, I've reared you to be godly children, and many of them went astray. Uh, but by the grace of God, by the grace of his teaching through me, and, and also using my wife with the children, uh, you've married one of them, right? They love the Lord. They fear the Lord. And and so you're gonna look, I'm going to look at the fruit and see if I'm, you know, bringing a pastor. It sounds like you're bringing a lead pastor in there, right? Uh, and what's the brother's name he wrote in? Uh, this brother's name is Glenn Wood. Okay, Glenn Wood. Uh, Glenn Wood has two names, first and last, or just first name? No, no, Glenn Wood, uh, first and last name. Oh, okay, <laughs> sorry. okay. <laughs> all right. That would be a fun name, though. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> praise the Lord, Glenn. And it sounds like you really love the Lord, and you guys are in a really good search. Praying is huge. Fasting, I'd be fasting about this decision, obviously. Uh, and then making sure that he loves his wife, and, and he has a good track record. I would find recommendations. I would want to know his past. I'd want to know what kind of fruit he's born, you know, not asking for perfection, but I wanted to know that the people that he's ministered to, that the lives that he's touched, that people love and fear God more as a result of his ministry as well. Yeah, I think this is in so important. And I know we kind of not cart before the horse because you dealt with doctrine a little bit too, but understanding that this person can't just be a cantankerous person and so forth. And I think it's interesting that we're talking about what should their life and behavior be? Because when it comes to doctrine, Joe, all of these things that we're talking about come from what does the Bible describe that their behavior will look like. Right. And so even when it comes to doctrine, that's why they're just so married to one another. And that's why the saying that you say all the time, bad doctrine leads to bad living. Yeah. And it's so true because 
if there is any doctrine that you are learning that turns you into a mean, cantankerous, angry person, I don't know what doctrine it is from the scripture. That yeah. doesn't seem to be the one that I'm seeing at all. And if there's any doctrine that leads you to be accepting of sin, of, of bad doctrine and so forth, specifically as a pastor or a somebody who's striving to be one, it seems that your theology is totally out of whack as well. Yeah. Because if you don't care about these things, then you're not they shepherding. They go anything. hand in hand very often, do they not? And and I and I say this all the time, and this this is more anecdotal, but but nonetheless, the men that I've looked up to, Joe and others that I have looked up to and and wanted to mirror that faith, as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So Jesus is the ultimate standard, but it talks about in Hebrews is also imitating the faith of those who have led you and so forth. But the men that I have garnered the most, uh, I guess you would say, grown the most from following teachings and and reading and 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 whatnot have always been the most joyful people in the Lord, serious about sin, serious about jo- doctrine, but that leads you to a joy unexpressed, uh, uh, unexplainable, that doesn't lead you to just being this downtrodden, yeah. countenance-fallen person that just seems angry and horrible to be around, because that doesn't seem pastoral either. <laughs> no, because we're called to have the fruit of the Spirit, Amen. which is love, peace, joy, love, self-indulgence, meekness, self-control, all these wonderful things, which, of, of which against such there's no law. But to just kind of piggyback on what you're saying, when you look at the doctrinal emphasis in the, Paul's writings, uh, in the writings of the uh, Jesus' teaching and so forth, uh, you know, he gives this theology with, with some practical teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Then he says to build your life on his words. There's there's a practical application of, of life. And you look at Paul, such heavy theology for 11 solid chapters in Romans. And after you get done with those 11 chapters, chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, meaning what's the therefore, therefore, it's therefore, therefore, based on the last 11 chapters of what I taught you, they weren't chapter breaks, but everything I wrote to you, you know, offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, right? Which is your, which is your spiritual service and don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the new of your mind. He tells them now to apply those chapters and therefore their lifestyle should mirror their doctrine. And then chapter 12, I mean, there's so many, I mean, Paul almost makes up for all the theology as far as a complement with, with uh, practical teaching, with just a staccato of, of like a machine gun fire of do that, you know, bless and no curse, all these wonderful things. And then you get that, you know, those kinds of applications to the rest of the book. Same with Ephesians. The first three chapters, it's all very heavy, beautiful, wonderful theology. And the last, and then four, five, or six, chapter four, then he talks about living worthy of what he just taught, living worthy of Christ. And and for me personally, uh, I love theology. And to me, theology is my favorite devotional teaching. I'll tell you why. Because when I'm reading rich theological truths from God's word, it makes me want to raise my hands and praise him. It makes me want to uh, you know, shout glory to God and exalt Jesus. It makes me want to preach the gospel. It makes me want to give my wife a hug, you know, give my brother a hug and encourage them in Jesus. So theology is, for me, very, very devotional. And so doctrine and, and our, lives, our lives, they should, be, they should go together. You know? No, I, I I think this is so important, guys. And I, I wow, Joe, we're already forty minutes into this thing, but wow. uh, Lord and it go, went by quick. But it is a subject I know that obviously I'll is trying to give quick answers, and we'll just go. No, no, the, I, I think these are. It's more important that we actually talk thoroughly about these things because I, I think that's what people want to have a, a well, better grasp. That's how I like to answer questions. I'm sorry, <laughs> and 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 it's so important because you know you got. I don't want to give all your years away on this. Uh, but I'm an old guy now, bro. Yeah, there's. Is it, what what was the anniversary we just had for Blessed Hope? Wow, we started in 1990, so we're you know 32 years old. 30 32 years young uh, as a as a fellowship, 
So being able to get to garner that wisdom over time, you know, is so important. And so for someone who just lost their pastor, you know, who, who was their pastor of 22 years. I mean, that is, that is serious to be like, okay, let's bring in a candidate and that's gotta be difficult. So that's why we want to, we want to deal with these things. So I guess, I guess, Joe, if we went a little quicker just on, and I know you already talked about repentance and stuff, but I want to go back to the doctrine question. If we went a little quicker, just as, because I want to get to some of these questions that I think you could ask and give them direct questions. Hey, maybe they could write it down and really ask the, uh, the prospective candidates and so forth, but maybe some core doctrine. You say, Hey, this is my conviction. And maybe it's not their conviction, but this is my conviction. These core doctrines should be the ones you should probably make sure these T's are crossed. These I's are dotted. And, and that would really get you a head start in terms of understanding who you want to be leading the flock there. Right. And obviously I'm going to have a personal, what I believe is a very biblical bias. I like, I like, uh, Titus, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 and 29. And uh, Paul says, you know, that he labors and strives in verse 29 because of what he's seeking to do in verse 28. And that is present every man perfect before the Lord, every man complete before Christ. And that's my desire as a pastor. So when I wake up in the morning, I try to pray for the congregation, to lift my hands before the Lord. Even before I pray in my office, I, you know, nowadays I, you know, go get up and sit on my bed. I'm praying through the night when I wake up and when I go to bed, when I rise up, but then I wake up and put my hands there and cry out to the Lord that I will glorify him, uh, that the congregation should be blessed and so forth. And I just start my, my morning that way. And then I go in my office and I'll continue to seek him and grow and, and then go throughout my day. So you want to make sure the pastor has a, I say that because I'm, I'm nothing, but I'm saying that because I'm being asked these questions. I'm looking for a man who, who has a prayer life, you know, that he, that he, that he loves the Lord and he wants to please God and, and that he's crying out to the Lord for the congregation. And, 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 and I'll say this just based on just a little bit more emphasis before I go into specific doctrines. I mean, you look at the pastoral epistles, First Timothy chapter 1, the first few verses, you know, from, in our departure from my departure from Macedonia, I left you in Ephesus that you would teach certain people not to teach strange doctrines. And the whole first chapter is about being doctrinally biblical and two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who've been handed over to Satan to learn not to blaspheme and were kicked out of the church and were, had become shipwrecked of made their face shipwrecked. Then chapter two, you know, he gives uh, what the church is supposed to look like in regard to who's able to pastor and who's not. Then chapter three, which I really encourage you because we didn't have time to go through it, but go through chapter three and you see the qualifications of an elder. You know, he better not be getting drunk, right? Uh, he better not be a brawler, you know? Uh, you know, better, be, be, you know, there's a lot of things mentioned there. And then uh, in chapter four, the very first verse, you know, he says, the last days, the Holy Spirit speaks expressly that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And that chapter ends in verse 16. That's where it says, watch your life and your doctrine. And so doing, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. Amen. And then you get that through the, through the rest of Timothy and how certain people have gone astray because of the false doctrine of greed. And men in chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, who teach that godliness or they have corrupt minds, they don't adhere to the doctrines or teachings of Jesus. Then you go 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Uh, they, these men teach that godliness is the means of financial gain. That's the prosperity movement. So, man, you go through there, you go through 2 Timothy, and I'll just mention one, two little things in 2 Timothy uh, because they're really powerful that all Scripture is inspired by God. Man, it's God-breathed, mm -hmm. and it's profitable, right, for, for teaching and instruction and encouragement and so forth that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. Then he goes in chapter 4, says, you're going to stand before God, Timothy, uh, to give an account. And he says, preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not heed sound doctrine but after their own uh, desires 
though he but teachers will tickle the ears and they'll turn their ears away from the truth unto error. So you have this incredible emphasis on doctrine. And I'll just mention one verse in second or in Titus, because that's the other, the third of the pastoral epistles. And he, well, I'm going to mention two. I'm going to read them actually. For this reason, I left you in Crete, talking to Pastor Titus, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And he gives the qualifications of an overseer. And one of the things is that they must, what? Be holding fast the faithful word, God's word, holding it fast, which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine, so he has to teach sound doctrine, and to refute those who contradict. So can your pastor refute the word faith movement that you're going to bring on? Can he refute the Mormons and the JWs? Or can he help people that are being, uh, you know, hustled by those guys and drawn in and seduced by doctrines of demons? Can he can he help walk you through that? Or uh, brothers and sisters who may not know how to get through that. So it's imperative uh, that that pastors have a, a, a knowledge of God's word. Doctrine simply means teaching, you know, and we're saved by the gospel. That's part of the teaching and so forth. So uh, are you talking about, now, Chad, when you're saying specific doctrines, maybe what I would look for because there's such a variance in what's called the body of Christ today and what I'd want to see in the elder doctrinally, uh, of positions where there's differences? More? Yeah, I think that might be good. I know we only got about 15 minutes left here, but I think yeah. that might be good. Just, you know, this is somebody that obviously uh, enjoys the ministry. Mm-hmm. So if they're enjoying the very things, maybe they have different convictions. So some of these may not apply to them and so forth. Right. But those things that maybe you're looking at in terms of saying, hey, you know, this is a place, a perfect example. Some people may believe that uh, deacons and deaconesses, right? Some people may just believe in deacons. Yeah. Is that a place where you say, nope, that guy obviously couldn't be a, uh, in leadership? Or is that, well, that's one place where, hey, we could have a different view there and still be in leadership. I, I don't know. I'm just trying yeah, to give an if example. If it's on an issue like that, uh, I can see, I'm, I'm in the middle on that one. I don't, I don't straddle the fence on a lot of things, but if I'm not super, super convinced on one area, because I can see Phoebe's called a servant. You can say she's a deaconess. She doesn't have to be able to teach and so forth. Uh, I can see the church fathers, you know, the belief in women deaconesses and so forth. Uh, at the same time, that doesn't prove anything. And I can see also where you might have the understanding the way the, the word, the wording takes place that deacons are just men. So as long as we wouldn't divide over it, you know, as long as it's not a divisive issue in the church. And I could have an elder who could disagree with me on deacons or deaconesses. It wouldn't be a problem at all as long as they kept the unity of the faith and they didn't rock the boat over something that we, I would look at as it could, I could see, uh, it can go either way, you know. But there's other areas where uh, there's essential doctrine, of course, uh, you know, where you have to believe Jesus is God, you know. You have to believe the Bible is the Word of God, the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of our own bodies, because Hymenaeus and then another guy that's introduced, Philetus, were teaching that the resurrection had already come to pass. So we can get into pneumatology, and it might be better because there's so many uh, specific areas to deal with the theologies, you know eschatology and pneumatology and soteriology and get a little broader. So with people in our fellowship that in our fellowship, we're very doctrinally, we have emphasized a lot of doctrinal truth and also walking with Jesus. I want to see the doctrinal emphasis and I want to see the fruit. And and that's one thing we've seen. I think it was a brother, James Jackson came and visited us and he was in a number of churches and he's coming out of Calvinism and he was blown away that, you know, you and I sat down with him and hung out with five or six hours for him. He goes, I couldn't even sit with the other pastors. And it, it blew him away. And I was like, oh, that's nothing special. I mean, that's what I did before I was pastoring. I always fellowship people, love them. I haven't changed. And we've heard that over and over again. And people come in our fellowship. And they're like, we can't believe people hang out. I mean, most of the fellowship is there a half hour later after the service still. And it's just beautiful. And 
uh, we, we hear it over and over again. And we just heard on a men's retreat, a guy said, you know, came up to me and he goes, I really want to encourage you. He said, because I've been crisscrossing the country for an hour and a half. And I found one church and I found your guys, you guys. And I heard your teaching. I go, I bet people stick around afterwards. And that's because he goes, and I noticed that you hang out with the believers. It's like, why wouldn't I? And then I realized, you know, I came from one of the churches I was at when I was a young Christian. The pastor and his wife wouldn't fellowship with the people in the congregation at all because they'd been hurt sometime in the past by somebody in the church. So you want to make sure that you got to look at the history and say, hey, are you willing to sit down and, and, and be friends and love these guys, your brothers and sisters? That's very, very important. But as far as doctrinally, when I look at uh, the elders in our fellowship, if they're in our fellowship, they tend to have the very same convictions we have. And that's one reason they were the disciple here or they gravitated here because of their convictions or, you know, and if, and praise God, I believe God draws people here that love truth. And uh, so if it's somebody that came in, and I'll give you an example, and this would be a good way to really look at this. They come in, they say, hey, I love this. You know, I, I've heard some of the teaching, you know, I've seen some of the fellowship. It's great, you know, but uh, but I'd love to be, just let you know, I'm coming here for a little bit, but I'm hoping to have a leadership position eventually, and I want to maybe be a pastor. It says he that seeks to be an overseer, pastor, desires a good thing. And I'll let, then I'll find out, say, hey, just let you know, this is where we stand on a lot of our doctrinal issues. Now, I'm not, when it comes to soteriology, I am not going to bring a Calvinist on board who teaches that Jesus only died for a few people. And he wants most people to be ultimately damned forever. And that's why he made them, because he gets glory out of watching them writhe and torment for all eternity. I'm going to say, nah, that's not the, 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 the love of God that I understand, you know? Uh, and uh, so I'm not going to bring that person on board. Uh, when it comes to, or if someone comes, hey, I believe once you're saved, you could just live like hell and just lose your rewards and God will just take you to heaven early and you'll be just blessed for eternity. And that's, you know, your punishment. It's like, really? Uh, you're not going to be here, an elder here, because you're not going to be teaching, uh, you know, easy believes them or they don't believe repentance. I'm not bringing them on. We already covered that. Uh, so I'm going to be looking at their soteriology. Uh, what's the extent of their atonement? What's the extent Jesus' love for the lost and so forth? Because I want to make sure they understand the character of God. You know, and I do believe uh, Calvinists, there's Calvinists that love the Lord. I just believe they have a limited understanding of his grace. And uh, and therefore, they couldn't teach in our fellowship even. I went with them in Sunday school. When it came to the gifts of spirit, we don't want somebody who believes that everybody has to speak in tongues. I'm going to say, and you can be in our congregation, but you cannot be an elder. You know, and you can't teach that either because we want to strive for the unity of the faith. Uh, because Paul says, do I speak with tongues? Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Uh, at the same time, I don't want somebody, uh, let's say, John MacArthur Jr. comes in. I don't know if there's John MacArthur Jr. I think he is junior. I don't know. Say he has a son. He comes to fellowship. He goes, hey, I don't believe there's anybody should ever prophesy. I don't believe any, you know, and I'm going to say, hey, it says despise not prophesying. It says the Holy Spirit will give you utterance to speak in Mark 13 when you go before the rulers in the end times during the time of Antichrist. Mark 13. There's two prophets that prophesy in Revelation chapter 11 in the in the end time period and read Joel 2, read Acts 2. And I'm going to say, hey, I believe God will use believers in a supernatural way. And he does even to this day, not adding the scripture or anything, but in light of scripture, the Holy Spirit, we use them and so forth. So I wouldn't allow that person to be an elder. That would be, you're, you're giving me a very pointed question, putting him on the I spot, know. which is great. No, I love it. I love it because I want to make sure somebody uh, doesn't handicap the gifts in the body of Christ. And also someone doesn't distort it where they have a tongue that's 30 miles long because they're emphasis on tongues. I want to make sure they have a balanced view of the gifts of the spirit. Uh, I want to make sure uh, that they're so tall, but their, their prophecy if they teach, oh, you know what? Nero was the Antichrist, and there's no future Antichrist. And we're right now, the resurrection has already come to pass, which many full preterists are teaching. World preterism does teach it already came to pass, and the resurrection of believers. And that we're in the new heaven and new earth right now, and there's no thousand year reign and so forth. Uh, the end times have already happened, and it happened in 70 AD, but Revelation's already been fulfilled. I want to say, 
you can not only not be an elder here, but you can't teach that in our fellowship. Now, if he has discussions with people, that's great. But if he starts making disciples into that belief system, uh, because guess what? He's adding and taking away to the book of Revelation right there because he's giving it crazy interpretations that are not biblical. He's wiping the entire book out. If someone's pre-trib, you can be pre-trib in our fellowship. You can be a worship leader. leader. Doug Stapleton, who's a great teammate of ours, was our worship leader. He, he's a pre-tribber uh, for years, but he knew that that's not something he was going to be teaching the congregation. And eventually he became a post-tribber, praise God. Uh, now he's a strong post-tribber. That means he believes that, that the church will go through the tribulation. But if he had that belief in pre-tribulationism, I wouldn't have made him an elder because elders are going to teach and they're going to teach doctrine. So I'm giving you uh, some of the you know things that are emphasized. The big dogs here. Yeah. yeah. These, these are points of emphasis as a fellowship. Now, we have a number of things in terms of, and, and Joe, I'm giving you a whole five minutes to answer all these <laughs> questions, okay? Uh, but we have a number of different things, characteristics, you would say, that some people, and I think this goes back to a doctrine question. I, I feel like I'm reiterating that, but it is important <laughs> because it's mentioned in the scripture. But when it comes to even uh, evangelistic efforts of a pastor, we, it has been found out over and over again when it comes to, uh, I guess, a lot of Barner reports and so forth, that people in the congregation think that's the job of the pastor. It's not their job. Yeah. But also what is sad is I'm telling you this from meeting with pastors locally who have told us, man, we really, some of us, even the pastors had gotten their eyes off of going out and sharing the gospel as much as they should be. So do you think, that evangelistic efforts from the pastor specifically, let alone the congregation, but from the, the pastor is also indicative of whether or not that person meets the qualifications. Yeah, I'm not saying that a pastor has to be going on a lot of mission trips and everything else. Uh, but Paul tells Timothy, as a young pastor, do the work of an evangelist. And I'm very evangelical. Uh, I was doing the work of evangelist before I got uh, became a pastor. Uh, I still do it to this day. I think, Chad, the first time I met you or talked to you had any depth, I challenge you to go on the street witnessing with us, right? Uh, yeah, that is a fact, yes. <laughs> so, and I witness all the time. And uh, But the, he has to have a heart for the lost. You know, if you have the heart of Jesus, he came to seek and save that which is lost. So, uh, you know, I know I'm going to try to answer these questions quick because I only got three and a half minutes left probably, if that. So I would say, hey, yes, uh, I think it's, if I'm bringing a pastor on or elder on, I want to know that they want to reach the lost, that they care for the lost. And I've been on, I, I'm still a missionary. I mean, I'm going on mission trips, you know, every year practically. And I, I think that's important. And not just missionally minded. I would want to make sure he's missionally minded, but I want to make sure that, that he has a lifestyle evangelism. I mean, I was at the dentist yesterday and I was witnessing to the lady taking care of my teeth. And then another lady came in that saw me a couple months ago. She's like, hey, are you going to talk to her like you talked to me and told her this, that, and the other? And she was hovering by the door watching. And then I said, yeah, I'm going to. I already have a little bit. And then I and then I found out that she's been in, uh, involved in the Joe Witness movement in and out, you know, and back in and then out again. And I said, hey, you know what? I go, I love for my wife and I. I go, I never get together with women alone. I go, but I love when my wife and I sit down with you and explain to you the difference. Because she goes, my son, he's born again. And he, you sound like my son, what you're saying to me right now. And then my heart just went out. Like, oh, he's calling me. He lives in Indiana now. And I said, you know, my wife and I love to sit down with you and so forth. And by the way, there's another thing. Since I mentioned it, I never counsel women alone. I've never counseled women alone in the history of this fellowship. And that's why I see pastors fall and burn around me at times because they're hanging out with women. You know, if you're a pastor right now, you're listening, man. I mean, I would not even have a church secretary. We have a secretary that's a woman, but she's my wife's secretary, you know, and my wife is my secretary. And uh, so that's another thing, too, is, is do they have heart for evangelism? Are they watching their life as far as staying out of trouble? I mean, you need to safeguard the fellowship. And you don't want a pastor that's hanging out with another woman. That's just my strong opinion. 
I'm not saying, I'm not saying a chapter verse other than, you know, stay away from all appearance of evil. There's one and make no provision for the flesh. That's the way I apply those verses. It's helped me, it's kept me from falling throughout these years. But there's a couple answers to one question, different questions. No, uh, I, I love it. You snuck in uh, part of my last question for you, but um, one of the big things, guys, and this is a passion here at Blessed Hope Chapel. It's a passion, a good fight. And it comes from Joe from all those years ago. Like he said, when I first came to the fellowship, taking me out and in terms of, hey, we're going to go out and share the gospel. And for me, it was just watching other people do it. And next thing you know, exactly what happened in Acts 420, right? They said, we can't help but speak of the things we've seen and heard. I can't yeah. help but tell Amen. people about Jesus. And I told you that was going to happen to you. you I said, you watch this witness, but you're going to be like, wait, I want to share too. Yeah. Boom. Couldn't help it. And then I got addicted to sharing the gospel. And you know what? I have not been able to kick that addiction That's yet. what addiction we don't want you to kick. So uh, praise God. And one of the great things is that formulates such a great discipleship, you know, mentorship of understanding. And you get asked questions that especially you're a new believer. Just yeah. be honest with yourself. Trust me, I had to, a lot of pride that had to be stripped away. And all of a sudden I have this new faith. I'm trying to share it. And I don't know all the answers. Yeah. And that's the first time I had to not just be the know-it-all, right? And so yeah, it's it, also you grow in holiness, Philemon, right? Yeah, Philemon. I pray you're active in sharing your faith. So you have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. And I know that's that's been so true of me in my life was seeing people witness, watching Joe witness as the pastor. And that, as you said, I mean, the scriptures are clear. Do the work of an evangelist. Yeah. Fulfill your ministry. That's written as a pastoral epistle to yeah. tell Timothy, Amen. do the work of an evangelist to fulfill their ministry. So this is part of it. And we're coming up on it, Joe. But I, I do think there's a couple extra questions. And let's add in uh, let's add in something else to this because we're talking about pastors. And the most important thing is I, I'm sure you have a ton of questions and things. You mentioned not counseling women. So there are certain safeguards that pastors need to also put in place for them as well. And when it comes to this ministry and having a ministry where you're, you're going to be teaching others, and you mentioned this at the beginning, but maybe there's a bunch of people watching right now that haven't heard this, but I, just the fact of being saved, because there's a ton of pastors right now, by the way, that don't even believe what they're teaching. You yeah. find that out from what happens in their lifestyle and the things that they come out with afterwards. But I, I think it would be great to maybe speak to those people that maybe they've even had a pastor fall. I don't know. This is kind of an open-ended question. I'm throwing you 50 questions all at once, Joe, but, but nonetheless, you know, you've had somebody church hurt, or maybe you're, you're thinking about being a pastor and you're wavering on these things, wherever it is, just some words of encouragement for the audience that's here for hey, not only pastoral ministry, but just making sure you're saved as a whole. Making sure the pastor's saved? Pastor, person, anyone. Yeah. How can they know they can be How can they know that they're a Christian? I think is a great question to ask. Yeah. You're, you're looking for fruit, you know, and if, if somebody, embraces Jesus and there's truly following Jesus said, you know, uh, that he that, you know, to abide in him. And if you abide in him, you'll bear much fruit and he's looking for fruit that remains. So you want to make sure there's fruit in your life. Uh, you also, if you are in a church and there's a pastor and if, if you're looking for absolute perfection, I, I should say this, man, if you're looking for absolute perfection before uh, somebody can become your pastor. We're never going to find that, you know, you're never going to find a church that's perfect because you'll ruin it. We talk about because it's been said, if you try to find a perfect church, you find one. Don't join it because you'll ruin it because you're not perfect. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect pastor. I'm far from perfect. I, I rely on the Lord's grace all the time. I cry out to him uh, and seek his face because, and I pray, you know, you know, uh, even the littlest things we don't recognize, there's even presumptuous sin that you don't even know is sin. You got to watch your heart. You got to cry out to God all the time. So I just want to encourage you guys to be uh, in that your churches don't look for absolute perfection, but you're looking for a heart that is just in love with Jesus. It's kind of, we can end the way we began. And how do you know you're saved? Well, 
Are you confessing that Jesus Christ is your Lord? You know, uh, have you truly turned to him and recognized that you can't save yourself, but that you're a sinner and you deserve to be damned for eternity? And you, you've actually been honest with who you are because the Bible says he who says he's without sin is a liar and the truth isn't in him. So if you're not acknowledging your sin, you, you're not saved because you have no motivation to come to the Savior. Once you've acknowledged your sin, you realize that God has revealed himself through his word and he became a man and he died on the cross and he paid for your sins. And he, he, he paid for your sins and he, he became the, he, he absorbed the penalty of God's wrath that you deserve upon himself. And he conquered death because he rose from the dead. And the Bible says, if you believe in your heart that, you know, God rose from the dead, if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you can't do that without repentance. You're saying, hey, you're Lord, you're master, not me. I'm, tr- I'm looking to you. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you shall be saved. So I want to make sure you, you're doing that. And of course, if you're looking for a pastor, Jesus Christ better be Lord. I'll tell you, you know how you, someone, you can know that Jesus is not their Lord? When they search for loopholes in the scripture where they can justify sin, where they can justify a false doctrine because it makes their life easier. It make, it's something that they want to believe rather than what the scriptures say. Well, then you have to say, is Jesus truly your Lord at that point? Uh, and that's something we need to ask ourselves. Are we looking to say, what does God's word say? Or am I trying to make it say what I want it to say? And that's a, that's a good question to ask. And so if you're if you got a pastor that fears the Lord, he's going to bow down to God's word and he's going to preach the things that are hard to preach. Sometimes Jesus sifted the multitudes and gave them hard sayings because he is he looking to get a huge group, you know, an, ad, an adulation, right? Woe unto you, Jesus said, when all men speak well of you because they spoke well of the false prophets. But you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. So I want elders surrounding me and working with me and arm in arm. And I want the pastors of Blessed Hope Churches and I want the pastors of all the other churches out there to preach, as Paul said, the goodness and the severity of God. That's in Romans 11. He talked about how you're saved by grace. And then he says, but you can be cut off from salvation if you don't continue in the faith. And that's when he said in that context, because therefore the goodness and the severity of God. James says there's one lawgiver who's able to save and destroy. The Bible says God is love, 1 John 4, 8. 1 John 4, 9, 8, 8, uh, 16, God is love. It also says in Hebrews 11, 29 elsewhere that God is a consuming fire. So we have to preach, as Paul said, the whole counsel of God. And Paul said, I didn't shrink back from preaching the whole counsel of God. When somebody does not want to preach the whole counsel of God and they want to pick and choose, Jesus is not operational in their lives as Lord. They're either Lord to a congregation that wants its ears tickled, uh, a a certain movement, or their own flesh. So uh, it's an interesting way you couch that question because I'm saying, hmm, you know, are they even saved? Well, I believe you can tell a pastor saved because he loves the whole word of God and he doesn't shrink back from declaring it. Amen. We couldn't, uh, obviously I couldn't agree with you more and, and guys, please be encouraged by that. Know and love the Lord and God bless you guys. We love you guys. Press on in Jesus and be patient with your pastors. (laughs) You've been listening to the good fight radio show brought to you by good fight ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.